0: One of the first things I recommend to clients, especially if I give them like an at-home program and stuff is to get one of those sets of adjustable dumbbells. You know, it's like there's like two of them and it goes from like five to whatever, 50 pounds. And you just turn the little thing and it, you know, it's a nice space saving tool. If you have those weights ready there. And I think you've got, got like take... two
1: pounds or three pounds. I
0: don't think i got Okay, okay. so you might need some heavier ones, Matt. You look pretty strong, I don't know. Oh, no, <laughs> you, I'm might, not. you might need okay. some heavier weights. we got to get the bone mineral density and, and lean muscle tissue going here, man.
2: Down in the valley, moved up from the city It's a new way of living and I'm trying to get used to it One park will half an ounce of an idiot Ordered a Manhattan and they called me a city, yeah At first I hurt my feelings but it's kind of got to ring to it they can tell when you're new to win. I'm looking at a place but I'm trying to keep fitting in it takes too long to be a local so for now I'm a city yet
1: I'm Matt Zucker and this is It, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. The last two winters, Brian and I went to Florida for a few months, and one big positive was that we could be outside and walking a lot. Brian took up running a few years ago, so it was great for him to be able to run 12 months a year. Even for me, never a gym rat. There I didn't just sit on the couch. Nora and I took long walks, especially in the morning before it got too hot, sometimes a mile or two or more. and often. the beach upstate is great for being outside two to three times a week we're out both off leash at claremont greg farm burger hill poet's walk germantown there's so many places to go up here i've had multiple doctors tell me to walk more than 15 minutes a day minimum which is easy to say yes to and not impossible to follow through on winter though is coming and we won't be in florida this year so i'm getting concerned about exercise during the pandemic, like a lot of people, we bought a Peloton, which seemed smart at the time. We put it in my studio where I work every day. It was amusing at first. I logged on as Sidiet and tried a couple of classes, including the Cult of Cody. It wasn't really me though. I mean, I wasn't expecting a public affairs lecture, but the chatter got to me, even though I get how wildly popular he is. So since we couldn't travel anywhere, I would instead use the filmed bike rides around the world for exercise. I kind of liked it. I could do a 20-minute ride through New Zealand or a 30-minute ride in the south of France. And then out of the blue, I'd be jolted by a phone call through the bike. It was my friend Adam calling me from his Peloton. He saw me online. He scared the crap out of me. And also, he and I have never gone on a bike ride together, even as little kids. But he loves his Peloton. A lot of people do. So obviously, last week, I sold our Peloton. I found someone who wanted it much more than I wanted it, so now it's in her safe hands, hopefully getting much more use. Talk about practically never used. I'm thinking of replacing it, though, with a treadmill. I like walking, and light running. This my friends though, I'm worried, is not enough. I think getting in shape or surviving winter will take more than a brisk walk a few times a week. So then I met Jakob, a fitness trainer, and a former model. On this episode, he and I have a conversation about the Hudson Valley. He grew up here in the Catskills and moved back during the pandemic. We also talk about fitness, and he gives me advice on how I can start to work out. I am not a model for fitness, but as winter approaches, hopefully
0: a role model for you. Hi, Jakob. Hey, Matt. How are you doing, man?
1: Thanks for coming on It.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for, for having me.
1: I'm excited to talk to you, not just about fitness, which I'm terrible at, and I could be better, especially as winter comes on, but also because you're from the other side of the river. And I do spend probably too many episodes talking about my side of the river, and not enough going farther west than, you know, Kingston, or Catskill and things like that, too. So hopefully you can also help me be more full Hudson Valley Catskills than I've been.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll give it my best My best go, of course.
1: (laughs) Maybe a good place to start would be your relationship to the Hudson Valley and the Catskills.
0: So I actually grew up here in Cragsmore, New York, which is a small town sort of near Kerhonkson. I usually tell people Kerhonkson just because it's such a small town with a lot of these smaller towns here upstate. um, It's got a great
1: name, too, Kerhonkson
0: yeah exactly native american i think in 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 origin and anyway so i grew up here and i spent k through 12 going through the ellenville school district over in ellenville new york and then i went to, to college up in saratoga springs at a school called skidmore college and yeah so after that i moved to new york city and opened a private concierge personal training practice i'd studied exercise science at skidmore and then, yeah, so I was doing that in the city for about five years, which is a great experience. And then, of course, we had this little thing called the pandemic that smacked us right in the face. And <laughs> that caused me to reevaluate life a little bit. And I think the first place that I thought about retreating to was, of course, upstate, just because it, it, it was just such a natural place to escape from all the craziness in the city. So I immediately thought of returning to my original stomping grounds, and so we came back upstate for a little while, and then ultimately decided to stay once we got our footing here again.
1: Were you able to find work here?
0: Yeah, so that it was super. It was just honestly a crazy situation. A lot of my clients ended up having second houses here, but we had never really talked specifically about it because they would go upstate on the weekends and say, "Oh yeah, we have a you know we have a house upstate, whatever." But we never really got into specific details about where, and so. When the pandemic happened and we were kind of all figuring out what was gonna happen. They're like, Oh, I'm out of the city, you know, I don't I don't know when I'm gonna be coming back. I don't know when I can train you again. They are like, Oh, we're we're upstate too. Where where in upstate are you? Coincidentally, it turned out a large majority of them had houses either in, you know, Accord, Rhinebeck, all these places. So it just ended up working out really perfectly in the sense that, you know, we kind of just pick up where we left off, so to speak, except instead of being in an apartment gym, we were At least in the very beginning, we were outside in their backyard with weights and balls (laughs) and bands and stuff like that. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. A lot of them ended up deciding to stay. And I think, obviously, we saw that huge transition. I was part of that majority that moved from the city to uh, upstate, except I guess I sort of was coming home, whereas they were just, I guess, moving from New York City to upstate more permanently.
1: I want to ask you about differences between locals and newcomers, and then also, if you noticed any differences in those newcomers who moved up here, who are the same people, but yet now transplanted, and now they're almost locals.
0: Definitely. I think there was, there was a lot of dynamics that occurred. It was super interesting, first of all, to see a lot of people from New York City sort of experiencing a more full-time living situation upstate and having them navigate all of the things that comes come with living upstate, for example, like how to get your driveway plowed or just all these little... <laughs> logistical things that can be a little bit more challenging than being in a city environment. At first it was, you know, I think everybody was sort of isolated figuring out what to do, but then as things started to open up and the vaccines became more available and we kind of figured out a way to safely interact, I think there was more of a a blending between the local community and the people who are are transplants. And from there, I think we were all thrown together very quickly and abruptly. And I think people had to sort of figure out, what dynamic was going to be created. In some ways there was a, at least to my knowledge, there was a, or what I had seen is a a large clash in some ways between people coming from New York and how the locals received them. But yeah, so I think it kind of depends on where, but there was certainly, I would say a clash. And I think that still exists to this day, but I also have seen a lot of nice uh, synergy of sorts. I don't think it's all necessarily negative if that makes sense.
1: No, that's really good to hear. What kind of examples of success have you seen? Because I think we talk a lot about the bad news or the backlash and the traffic and the bad behaviors yeah. and the city it's but hearing any <laughs> good, any hearing any good examples I think would be cathartic.
0: Well, I think certainly from at least an economic perspective, I think one of the first things that come to that comes to mind is, for example, we've had these uh, some new hotels open up recently, one of them being wildflower farms in uh gardener and initially when they were opening the hotel there they actually happened to be the owners of the hotel happened to be clients of mine and when they were starting the project which was actually pre-pandemic but sort of rolled into the pandemic there was a a real big pushback between the locals and and them coming in to put this hotel up they were worried about sort of the it being an eyesore on the landscape or that it would you know all, all the sort of usual negative things but i think what was sort of a pleasant surprise was how much effort they had put into their local programming for specifically employing people, not just for the usual sort of wait staff and stuff, but really a lot of the more boutique things, a lot of the arts, the crafts, the real skill sets that people have in the local community that maybe otherwise wouldn't have that large platform. Like they've always been doing, you know, excellent work, either textile dyeing, for example, or incredible like craft food and, and drinks and things like that. But they were doing it up here and they really never had that platform to kind of show a larger audience. I think the hotel sort of was able to showcase their talents, but in sort of a way that I guess put them on the map that in a way that might other they might not have otherwise had been.
1: And since you've run a business in the city and now up here, are you noticing any differences between I don't know how you run your business or not what you can charge, but like the running of, a, I guess, a, the running of a business or the hours you keep or what people sure. need.
0: I think one of the things that was sort of, I guess, in some ways encouraging to me as a <clears throat> sole proprietor, I don't have any anybody else who works for me. It's just me who does the training. So I, you know, I travel a lot from people's houses uh, to people's houses. So I drive a lot. I think it was really nice for me to kind of be able to provide I guess what I like to say, sort of like a a higher end, like New York experience to people upstate, if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of times, especially, you know, people complain about maybe there being a lack of consistency in some of the service providers. I mean, it's obviously industry specific, but I- Oh, I I complain about this all the time. I complain about this all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I think everybody obviously deserves to have just, you know, the bare minimum. I feel like in some ways the bar was sort of I guess a little bit low and, and just by little things like showing up on time, like just making sure to provide an excellent service and support and give my clients the support that they need outside of the hours that we have one-on-one sessions, just something that, you know, just a generally like all-inclusive encompassing experiences.
1: And do you have advice for us about how to behave in return, right? You're bringing kind of an elevated service quality but what can I do to be meet you halfway?
0: Yeah. I mean, no, I and I've I've had amazing experiences. So I don't have any any sort of criticism by any means, but being somebody who kind of has had their foot in both the very local space growing up, but then also have had the, the New York experience. And I would say the vast majority of my clients are New Yorkers is, you know, figuring out some way in which we can all, I guess, bridge the gap specifically between more of the Hyper local community and the so called transplants or people who've made the transition to living up here full time. I think seeing that more, more reaching over the aisle, so to speak, would be, would be really, a, I think, a really beautiful thing.
1: Hey, maybe you'll play a game with me. I played before on an episode with someone who grew up here where I name a place and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. It
0: sounds like we a plan, that.
1: All right, well, I'll get to know the Hudson Valley and the Catskills better. okay, so here I'll start with something on my side of the river, Rhinebeck.
0: Bougie. <laughs> uh Tivoli, hmm, apple orchards, but I don't know if that's
1: I yeah, if there's that's apple accurate. orchards,
0: yeah, okay, okay, that was the yep. first thing I thought <laughs> yeah. Hudson, Ooh, crafty for sure, crafty, Catskill. Hiking.
1: Stone Ridge.
0: Where I work. So pretty much I'm just like having flashing (laughs) images of me driving to all my clients' houses. So I would say definitely, yeah, exercise. But That's very specific to my reality.
1: (laughs) That's cool. Uh, Kerhunkson.
0: Oh, home. Definitely home for sure. Olive Bridge. Hiking again. Definitely hiking. Monticello. Ooh, disparity for sure.
1: Livingston Manor.
0: Actually, I haven't spent much time at all in Livingston Manor. I'm not really I've sure never been. <laughs> yeah, I think like passing through it, certainly, and I on the way to clients. But okay, uh, fly fishing, certainly, that's what I associate with. I've Ooh, seen a lot of fly, fly fishing, fishing signs, and I know they have a, a, a deep history when it comes to the fly fishing community. But I'm not a fly fisherman, so I can't comment okay. exclusively on that. <laughs> Hobart. Honestly, don't even know where that is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's this book village way up north I went to. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Millbrook.
0: Ooh, fancy. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whoppingers Falls.
0: There's a really great Indian restaurant there called, I think it's called Karavali, I believe, is the Indian restaurant there. It's wonderful. Anyway, that's why I associate <laughs> with Whoppingers.
1: New Pulse. Mohawk. And What's your favorite place in the Hudson Valley? Like what's your go-to place for inspiration, kind of your secret place that
0: we all should know about? I think personally for myself, and this is a very special place to me, it's kind of where I've done a lot of my thinking and especially during any life transition I was ever going through. Even in the city, I would come up here specifically. And uh, it's Sam's Point, it's in Cragsmore where I live. And yeah, it's it's sort of on the same ridgeline as... Mohonk, but mostly people don't come to this side because it's a little bit tucked away and further away, unless you like know about it. They have a, a, a wonderful lake up there called Lake Marantanza that is just gorgeous. And they have this beautiful, just look off and everything about it. Just the energy is, is really, really quite special. I can't really encapsulate it in, in words. It's just something that you have to, I think, experience. So I, I highly recommend taking a trip there if you want to do some deep thinking and get outside and into the elements.
1: Nice. I'll put a link in my show notes. So I really asked you on the show for help because, yes. you know, my hu- husband is a runner. He's running the marathon. I am lazy. Winter's coming. I just sold my Peloton on Upstate Curious. Like I am not ready. So I guess my question would be if you have some advice for me about how to get my butt off the winter. I mean, as most of the audience knows, I'm 50 plus. Okay. I have trouble with discipline, and okay. but I'm very curious, so I'm willing to try new things or experiments or Got things you. like that. So you could definitely do out of the box stuff or the proven, the proven stuff for the archetype that oh, is boy. that is Matt.
0: Yeah. So, well, it's funny. So Matt, you're sort of the primary group of people that I do work with, I would say 50, even up to 80 years old. So sort of 50 to 80. I'm not 80. I'm not 80. (laughs) No, Nowhere close to 80. So (laughs) (laughs) just giving you the age range, 50 to 80 is probably, I would say, the primary. But anyway, no, but uh, on a serious note, I think, first of all, I think, especially when it comes to discipline, even if you're not a morning person, I don't think you need to be somebody who gets up at five in the morning. I'm not saying you need to do that. But I think doing your workout... First thing in the morning, at least for my clients who can do their workout ideally before they start the workday. I think that's one of the primary ways to stay consistent. And I've just even anecdotally have noticed the people who schedule sessions the first half of the day tend to be more disciplined and, and reliable over time, just because you get it done first thing in the morning, it's it kind of if you hate exercise, I guess you could call it, you know, do the worst first, so to speak, or what do they say? Eat the frog method, right? Or you do like the, yeah. the most challenging part Yeah, that makes sense too.
1: Like I like breakfast meetings because you don't, people don't cancel them. They don't have time to cancel them.
0: Exactly. So I think for, that would be a hundred percent. The first, yeah, if you can, if possible, even if it's just waking up 30 minutes before work, get something in, get, get a quick 30 minute workout in, I think would be the first thing, do it first thing in the morning. Got it.
1: Then what? do i do
0: so from there i would say depending on if if you have an at-home setup or not i would highly recommend getting yourself a do you have a a setup what is your setup
1: i don't know brian's got some random weights lying around of like you know some weights and i saw a yoga mat or two or something like that so there's odds and ends but i'm willing to buy things but yes i've got okay if you're willing to
0: buy okay cool cool so even if you have those dumbbells one of the first things i recommend to clients especially if i give them like an at-home program and stuff to get one of those sets of adjustable dumbbells, you know, it's like there's two of them, and it's goes from like five to whatever fifty pounds, and you just turn the little thing, and it, you know, it's a nice space saving tool if you have those weights already there. I think you've got like say, two
1: pounds or three pounds. I don't
2: think i got. Okay, 50 okay. So you
0: might need some heavier ones, Matt. You look pretty strong. I don't know. Oh, God, <laughs> might, I'm not. You might need okay. some heavier weights. We got to get the bone mineral density and and lean muscle tissue going here, man. But yeah, so I would say for sure a set of adjustable dumbbells just for space savings. And then, I mean, really just keeping it simple, I think people overcomplicate what they need to do specifically for strength training. I think obviously it's important to do the correct exercises, but I would argue that as long as you're doing the basics, so pick one exercise in every plane of motion. So for example, any sort of standing overhead pressing movement, for example, then a horizontal laying pressing movement, for example, a hip hinge, which would be an example of something like a like a deadlift or or perhaps uh, a squat could also count as a hip hinge. And then also a horizontal row, for example, and then-
1: I never uh, thought about this, about the different angles or planes, as you said, like a vertical Y-axis and X-axis angle uh, things. That might be an easier way to remember which one to do.
0: And I think really the the primary reason to kind of having it broken down into these planes of motion is because you're gonna target every single muscle group. So if you can break it down into the plane of motion, for example, for like an overhead pressing motion movement, you're going to be using your shoulders, your triceps. From a horizontal laying position, you're going to be using your chest, shoulders, triceps. So it's again, it's like you're breaking down each uh, plane of motion into the subsequent muscle groups. So just keeping it simple. And again, you can use a lot of those household name exercises, there's nothing wrong with going back to the basics, like Planks, push-ups, bench press, overhead press. Just keeping it really simple, and as long as it's safe for your body, you're going to be good to go. As long, I think the most important thing is preventing yourself from getting injured. So just don't, don't overdo it. You don't, you know. There's nobody in press. Just take it slow. Keep your form perfect and work within your comfort level. I I would say is my my biggest takeaway.
1: Okay, what about movement, especially in winter? We all sit around on the couch watching the fire. What do, you, do you have any recommendation about, you know, walking or running or trotting? And does it matter if I do it before or after the, the weights or the strength training or the movement? I, I
0: don't think necessarily the, the timing matters too much, but as long as you're being consistent, I mean, especially upstate, you know, it's kind of challenging with the winter blues to kind of motivate yourself to get outside. So if you are somebody who is a fan of using an exercise bike, I think that's perfectly acceptable for a lot of us. That's, you know, not exactly appealing to, oh, to God. The I hate on. it, so I don't know how yeah. <laughs> people love it. That cult, right? Yeah. No, so if you're somebody like that, then listen, by all means, I, I highly encourage people to get outside into the elements because that not only is that going to be your exercise, your cardiovascular exercise, but you're also going to be getting the psychological benefit of just being in the fresh air and having yeah. the light hit your eyes and just all those supplemental benefits that come with it. So if running outside is too much on your knees or back i think a brick brisk walk is perfectly acceptable you can get your heart rate into a zone that's really what i do sometimes i take
1: my dog to i'm sure there's places by you like at burger hill and rhinebeck and it's a really nice hike up uphill okay and i think there's some runners that run it every morning too
0: yeah
1: you know these these kind of hikes that are not flat kind of are exactly you know they're kind of a good workout even if they're not a huge distance
0: Totally. I was going to say incline. That's going to get your heart rate up and be incredible for your metabolic health. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's sustained to something that's like you, know, you can keep yourself walking for 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever you can swing. But yeah, I think consistency is the most important, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes a day. So just doing something as opposed to writing it off completely. Maybe you had had planned an hour workout in your schedule. And if it doesn't work out, instead of just scratching it entirely, use the 10 minutes that you have. I think that's still perfectly acceptable.
1: And what about in bad weather? Do you have any, like, go-to places you send people?
0: Honestly, not necessarily throw on a raincoat. No, I don't know. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> honestly, no, I mean, you can still get outside. <laughs> I mean, that's a fun way to challenge yourself, too, right? Like, if getting outside in bad weather, right? Like, that makes you feel very, very accomplished. You come inside, and then you can cozy up by the fire. There's a little bit of... Getting, you know getting oh funny I think is good for us yeah this is a great book I read semi recently called the comfort crisis I forgot who it's by but anyway he, he speaks a lot about how that that's that those principles can really build resilience in us and are good for us
1: that's great okay so we all like the idea of fitness but like for you talking to us what do you think is like the bot what's the bottom line what should we what's the big takeaway for us
0: yeah big takeaway I think definitely is to keep it simple and less is more, which might sound sort of somewhat counter when it comes to (laughs) training and stuff, because we always hear these anecdotes of, you know, push hard, push hard. And I think a lot of our culture sort of promotes this sort of no pain, no gain idea. And while there is good intention to the idea of being consistent and pushing yourself, I think most people end up overdoing it. And I think they develop a relationship with exercise that's, you know, They do a few really hard class workouts and it just, it takes it all out of them. They're sore for days and they never want to go back again because it's just, it's it's uncomfortable. They overdid it. So I think really working within your comfort zone and even, you know, just doing a little bit, there's, you can make incredible improvements to your fitness by just doing, like I said, even 10 or 15 minutes a day. Ideally, you'd want to eventually work yourself up to like a 40 minute strength training workout three times a week and maybe some supplemental cardio, but I think especially just in the beginning to, to keep yourself engaged and and accountable is to really work within your current fitness levels. I had this one client who he was an older gentleman. He really could only tolerate, I'd say at most like 20 minutes of really light stretching. And his primary goal was, was 75 at the time was just to be able to get up off of the floor. And because he, he just had a granddaughter recently, his son had a, had a daughter. And so he wanted to be able to get up off the floor, onto the floor, be able to play with her. That was his like objective. Yeah. So we worked. Yeah, that's a good know, so, right. Yeah. And it's for somebody like that. He was really challenged. He could only sit in a chair. It took us a couple of years to get to that point. And we never did it through any intense grueling thing, especially in the beginning. We just literally worked 10 minutes a day on stretching. And then gradually over time, of course, we gotten to the place where he was doing several repetitions of different exercises and stuff. I still meet with this guy like three times a week. and It's funny, he's able to like even do push-ups now, which is like insane because at this point, he's almost 80 years old. He's a retired math professor and he can just like, he can pump out like, sets of 20 push-ups. It's literally absurd where when we first started like, three years ago, he was like barely able to get onto the floor. So it just, it blows my mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But I think it just, it's testament that you can make a, a large improvement by just implementing little changes in your life and it doesn't need to be like an all or none thing so well,
1: that's great thanks
2: down in the valley moved up from the city it's a new way of living and i'm trying to get used to it one park goes half an ounce of an idiot ordered a manhattan and they called me a city yeah. at first I my feelings but it's kind of got to try to keep things names it just long to be a local so but now I'm a city or a city or a city or a city